We're going to talk today about uh, going deeper into the ministry of, of hospitality uh, from Luke chapter 14. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to, to join me there, Luke chapter 14. I think we'll have it on the screen as well for those of you watching online. Uh, welcome you in on this uh, study uh, today. As we take a, a quick look at this, this theme today, I'm aware that Mike preached on Luke 14 not long ago, and so I'm not in his text, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm in the text before Mike's text, uh, and uh, we, we didn't plan it that way, but I think it'll work well um, as we can consider the ministry of hospitality. The word hospitality literally means love for strangers, it's important that you get a biblical definition of hospitality and not take, uh, you know, an American or, or, or secular uh, definition of hospitality. It's a compound word to break it down even further. Philos, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love from, philos and the word xenos. You've heard of xenophobia before where you have a fear of strangers. Xenos means stranger. So it's a brotherly love for strangers. Isn't that a beautiful concept, right? And so what we're talking about is not uh, kind of the popular notion of entertaining. Uh, it, you know, as one who's lived a good bit in the South in my life, a lot of people think of hospitality as, as entertaining people. You bring out your fine china and you really try to wow people. Uh, but entertaining is about the host. Hospitality is about the guest. It, it's not about showing off. It's about serving people. It's about befriending people, loving people, serving others. It's also to be distinguished from the New Testament concept of fellowship, which is, is needed, important, where we build up one another. We're doing that this morning. Man, my soul needed that this morning. My soul needed those songs and uh, to be stirred up by one another, to see these young uh, bucks up here just doing it uh, and, and fired me up, uh, you know, my gray beard. Uh, you know, uh, we need that fellowship, but hospitality is about going outside of our fellowship and, and welcoming, befriending, bringing people in the way Jesus has brought us in, inviting people into our homes, into our lives, to, to play basketball, to, to, to church events. And what you have with the ministry of hospitality is a beautiful blend of both mercy ministry and evangelism. This is how you can have an integrative model of mission. By mercy ministry, I mean you can welcome those who are broken into your home, into your life, and care for them. And by evangelism, we can welcome them in and ultimately welcome them to Christ, to invite them to Christ. We invite them into our homes, into our lives, into our care, and ultimately into the care of Jesus himself. Now, in Luke 14, Jesus speaks of hospitality in the context of a great feast, of a great meal. And uh, I was preaching on this text several years ago and asked my kids on a Saturday night, I used to say they get the early service. Uh, you know, I would go over my sermon at the table uh, with the kids, not the whole deal, but like 15 minutes or so. And I asked them, kids, what, what, are your, what are your favorite meals of all time? And, you know, at the time, they, they, both, uh, you know, most of them were birthday parties and anything that involved a pinata, that, that was always at the top of their list. Uh, and I asked my wife, and she mentioned, uh, you know, a meal we had one time in, in Haleiwa, Hawaii, watching the sun go down. That sounds great, doesn't it? Just eating shrimp and uh, just looking at her. She talked about our wedding reception dinner. And one of the meals that stands out to me was when we celebrated our engagement. I proposed to my wife, uh, interestingly, at Arlington Cemetery. Um, 
I don't know how many guys proposed to their wife at a cemetery, but, but I went for it. Uh, she, she, her dad is expected to be buried there. They, uh, she's from a military family and, and we're up at top of the hill at, beside Robert E. Lee's old house and we're looking down at the graves, looking at the Washington Monument. And I said, baby, these guys all died for a worthy cause, didn't they? She said, yeah. I said, I want you to know I'm willing to lay down my life for you too. A worthy cause. And I think it's appropriate to, to propose in a graveyard as I'm, I'm pledging to, to lay down my life for you. And I said, what's our favorite verse? And she said, Psalm 34, 3. Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And I said, will you come and exalt the Lord with me in marriage? And, and it was not bad. Huh? I thought it was okay. And, uh, <laughs> and she said, yes. And we, we floated down that hill like a leaf on a river of romance. And, and uh, went, went back to, to her uh, parents' home. She's the, the first of three other sisters to, to get engaged. And, you know, there are balloons and wedding magazines. And her dad made this great feast. And he's a guy I really look up to. And, and he asked me to say the blessing and essentially welcome me. I'll never forget that moment of that meal. And I think if, if you were to be asked, what's your, what are your favorite meals of all time? I don't think you'd say, you know, when it was midnight and uh, we went through Taco Bell and we got, uh, you know, or it was when I was a lonely college student eating ramen noodles. Uh, it was just a phenomenal evening. Or when you're running through the airport and you grab a chicken wrap. Um, those are not the occasions that, that stick out to you. And have you ever noticed that when someone that you love dies... The one place you miss them, the one place you feel their absence is at the table. You miss them deeply at the table. Why is that? What is the table saying to us? And I think it's saying to us that we were made for this. We were made for this. In Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 8, Isaiah gives this beautiful picture of the coming messianic feast or as John calls it, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he gives us this beautiful vision of the finest of meats, the finest of wines, where God wipes tears off our face and he swallows up death forever. And he says, that's where we're going. And that the Lord of hosts himself will make this feast. Now, I know there are a lot of great chefs here. I know my boy Mike can cook. But the Lord of hosts making a meal... I'm all about that, right? And that is where we're going as Jesus' bride. We're, we're going to this feast. We're going to this party, if you like. And this is not the popular notion of heaven, is it? A lot of people think of heaven as a, an endless sing-along. And I love singing. But there's more than, than just an endless sing-along. Or sitting in rows, being taught. Or sitting on a cloud, looking like a little cartoonish angel playing a harp. Or some have this vision of being just sort of disembodied, just sort of floating around in space. No, what we are to picture is superior company, superior food, taste buds and palates that are not damaged by the fall. With the, in the presence of Jesus Christ and all of his people, this is where we're going. And when we get into the Bible, we see that meals... And hospitality is a really big deal. In fact, you could trace the storyline of the Bible with several meals. In the garden, it is God who is providing for Adam and Eve. In the Exodus, when God takes his people out of bondage, how is it that they are to remember his deliverance? A Passover meal. 
as they taste his for as they taste the former bitterness of Egypt as they consider the sacrifices that were made for them to be delivered. And how is it that God provides for Israel in the wilderness, but he's dropping crispy cream from heaven as they go out every morning and, and are fed for 40 years. Their sandals never wear out. God is the host. And he's taking them not to a land of oil and resources, but a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's pictured as food. It's pictured as God as the host. All through the scriptures, he is the one who feeds. Open your mouth wide, the psalmist says, and I will fill you with good things. And so as you get into the New Testament, then it is Jesus that you see eating with people, hanging with people. Uh, he, he's called, be, being called a friend of sinners, being called a, a glutton and a tax collector, or a glutton and a drunkard, even though he wasn't. But they said that because he's always hanging with people. He's always using the table as a place of mission. And then in the New Testament, the church is called constantly to practice hospitality. In the Romans 12 text chapter that, that Haydn just mentioned, it's there to seek to show hospitality, or as the message uh, paraphrases it well, be inventive in hospitality. And then in Revelation, it all climaxes with that glorious picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's our great hope today as the church. That's what we're looking forward to. What we're looking forward to today is not so much returning to, to pre-pandemic conditions. We are looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to this kingdom that is to come. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we have a great book of the Bible that emphasizes meals and hospitality. There's a guy who wrote a book with a great title called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. And he says in this book that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. And it's a fascinating study when you look at it, uh, as our church right now is studying the, the gospel of Luke, how often that is the case and how often Jesus is using food as illustration, right? There's a short little five-chapter book called A Meal with Jesus that we've used as our church, in our church that uh, emphasizes the ministry of hospitality that just takes five passages from the gospel of Luke to think about how we may do this as a church. And it's written by a guy named Tim Chester. And Tim Chester <clears throat> asked the question in this book, how would you complete this sentence? If you're familiar with the Bible, you would know a couple of these answers. The Son of Man came. We know he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We know in Luke 19, he came to seek and save the lost. But few would say the third one, Luke 7, 34, he came eating and drinking. The first two describe why Jesus came. And the third one came, describes how he came. What his regular life was like. What his ministry was like. Jesus used meals as an occasion to display revolutionary love. Radical grace. And kingdom mission. And so in our church, often as people have come from other churches and they've said, Pastor, how do I get plugged in to the mission of the church? I often surprise them when I say, eat with people, right? They often come looking for a program, which is fine, ministries to plug into, which is fine. But if you will use a couple of meals a week and eat with people who don't know Jesus, you're really practicing the ministry style of Jesus himself. And in Luke 14, what you have is Jesus actually teaching on hospitality, teaching on the table, 
Throughout the, the, the gospel of Luke, he's, he's doing this sort of thing, but here he actually teaches on it. And I just want us to, to draw two principles, two points from uh, these verses this morning. The first is to invite outsiders to, to your feast. And the second point is to invite outsiders to the king's feast. Okay, so let me put it in context if you're looking there in chapter 14, verse 1. It's on the Sabbath day, and Jesus has actually been invited into the home of someone. He's been invited into the home of a Pharisee for a party. doesn't sound like much of a party if a Pharisee invites you. And they're not really interested in hanging with Jesus. They're, they're interested in catching Jesus. Right? They're always wanting to trip Jesus up and play kind of preacher gotcha. You, you said something that you shouldn't have said. And so they raise a question about the Sabbath, which often pops up in the Gospels. And Jesus answers their objection, verse 6, and they did not know how to reply to his response. So we're at a party, and Jesus has just left everyone silenced with his response. And then in verses 7 to 10, Jesus takes a look at a party that's going on, and he first rebukes the guest of the party before then rebuking the host of the party. I don't think Jesus was ever invited back to this particular uh, home. As he looks first at the guests who are coming in, you just glance at it in verses 7 to 10, and he, he rebukes them because they want these seats of honor. They want to be noticed. They want to be praised. And so Jesus looks at them, and he's looking at the people who are invited, and he, he doesn't see any of the lowly who are there. In fact, he sees people trying to get position and a lack of humility, and so he rebukes them for their pride. And then notice verse 11, he, he expresses what you might call the principle of the kingdom. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now that's mentioned more than once in the Gospel of Luke. You can humble yourself now and be exalted later. Humble yourself before Jesus Christ and follow him. Or you can be puffy, exalt yourself, and you will be humbled. Now, right out of that, Jesus talks to them about hospitality. And I think that's significant because it shows us one of the ways you actually live a humble life. Because it's hard sometimes in it to, to put a specific, uh, to, to be clear on what it looks like to be humble. And the more we talk about humility, the more arrogant it seems we are, right? Uh, right? The, that we are. But here's a way that you actually live out a humble life, and it's by practicing the kind of hospitality that Jesus describes. Right. And right after talking about being humble, what is it that he's going to talk about? Well, notice, first of all, as we think about inviting outsiders to our feast, he says this. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. <laughs> How is that for rocking someone's world? Invite Jesus into the party. We're trying to trip him up. He silences us. Then he looks at, at the guests, and he's got a problem. And then he looks at the host, and he says, let me tell you how you should throw your party. Wow. Here's how you should, you should throw your party. Now, we need to make a few caveats here. What Jesus is not saying, first of all, is that it's always wrong to, to spend time with your family and friends. We know that's not the case because we're called to practice fellowship. We know that Jesus accepted invitations from Lazarus and the sisters to hang with his, his friends. And he says in John 13, one of the ways that the outside world will know we're his disciples is by how we love one another. 
So we know that there's a time and a place for us to spend time together. But he's looking at the religious hypocrites, if you will, the self-righteous, whose social life doesn't look any different than the secular world. And he's saying, you know what's wrong with your party? Where are the single moms? Where are the orphans? Where's the person with, with special need? Where's the abused? Where's the snotty-nosed kid down the street who's, whose parents are never home? They're not at your parties. And when you give a party, don't limit your guest list to the rich, to the, your, 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 your relatives, to the people who think exact, exactly like you. No, and don't limit your guest list, notice, to those who can repay you. You know, it's a fancy word for that, reciprocity. Don't do something for someone so you can get a payback later. That's how the world thinks. That's not grace. Grace, as one person put it well, is one-way love. We, we show grace not to get return. We show it because we've been shown grace, right? And he says, so when you think about your life and events, you know, that you have at your house, don't limit your guest list to these kinds of individuals. Why? Because we see ourselves in these individuals, don't we? You see, in the gospel, we are the poor, having nothing to bring to God, and he's made us rich in Christ. We are the orphan, having no father, and we've been brought into the family. We are the stranger, having no kingdom, no citizenship, and we've been given a kingdom. We are the widow, having no husband, and Jesus has become our groom. You see, the people who should, who should identify with the least of these are Christians because that is our story. We see ourselves there. And so the proper response to grace is a life of grace. The proper response to what Jesus has done for us is to show that same kind of grace to those who are in need. So he says, collapse the distance between you and the poor and the marginalized. He says, remember that your social life, I think this is important for conservative Christians, not just your moral life shows whether or not you understand the kingdom. What I mean by that is when you become a Christian, you, you, you start pursuing godliness, which you should. But there is also should be an impact on the way you live your social life. That is, you begin to uh, identify people who are, who are not, you know, who don't have friends, so people who are in need. And you begin to, to not just give handouts, but you begin to invite them into your life and care for them. You remember the one place where Paul says that he rebuked Peter to his face? It wasn't about a theological disagreement. It kind of was. It was this. He says, he says, I rebuked Peter to his face in Galatians 2 because Peter would not eat with Gentiles. Even though he believed that salvation was by grace alone and that it wasn't limited to Jews, he was betraying that belief by refusing to eat with the Gentiles. That's why meals are so very important. And so we live for this, this other reward. Notice, I love how Jesus infuses this simple practice of hospitality with eternal reward. Did you notice that? He says, invite the individuals who cannot repay you. And I think that's important to remember. When you, when you bring in someone who is in need... When you care for foster children, for example, you might have to sleep with one eye open for a couple of weeks, right? They may tear up your furniture. 
That's just, you're not doing it to be praised. I thought, I thought about that, you know, when we adopted our kids. We have five adopted kids, if you didn't hear that last night. And, you know, you adopt kids and you think, you know, man, they're going to write praise songs about us. And uh, they're just... <laughs> and uh, we brought these four Ukrainian kids back. We went to get uh, four, uh, two kids. We came back with four. Uh, don't ask me how that happened. I'm still working it out. Twelve years ago, a uh, biological sibling group... And uh, we were in Ukraine for 40 days, and I couldn't wait to get them back to the States. And we were flying through the Memphis airport when we got back to the States, and I could not wait to introduce them to barbecue. After all, they've been eating Ukrainian food and orphanage food, and and I I let them get anything they wanted, and it was going to be my big dad moment. Dad to the rescue. I'm, I'm providing you with brisket. Do you have any idea what you had back in that orphanage, you know? And they picked out their food. And, and, and uh, one of them took a bite of it and just turned her nose up and, and kind of shoved it to the middle. And I lost it, man. I, it, was 20, it was a 27-hour trip. I got excuses. I hadn't slept. I'd been there for 40 days. And I was just, what is going on? I had to take a walk down the, down the, you know, the airport. And it began to register really quick. What, what is your motivation for caring for those who are in need? This verse has meant the world to me the last 12 years, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Don't expect repayment. Don't express, don't expect even gratitude for those who are in need. As I often say, orphan care is warfare. And so is hospitality. It means that you're, you're willing to get messy. You're willing to deal with the brokenness. You're willing to deal with people who have trauma. And you recognize this life is short, man. I'm doing this unto Jesus Christ. Whoever done it to the least of these, he's done it to me. And so when we care for the poor, when we care for the prisoner, when we care for the orphan, we recognize that the orphan has a face, and that face is a Galilean carpenter. We do it unto Jesus Christ, ultimately as an act of worship. And that's where we need to go deeper in our own hearts, right? Because we we often view our homes as refuges where it's only the place where it's me and my family. It's where I put my feet up. You know, it used to be said the last thing to be baptized in a person is their wallet. And I think in America you would say today is probably their home because we have our garages. We go through self-checkout lines. We have fences in the back, right? And you can live a very isolated life. You could live your entire life and never even know the name of an orphan. You could live your entire life and not even know the name of a widow, a prisoner, right? And Jesus is calling us to something greater here. He's calling us to make our little lives count for his glory by being sensitive. So think about your own life, right? Think about some ways in which you can do this, of bringing people into your home and into your life. I tell our church all the time when we pray for missionaries who are overseas, what we often pray for them about are the very things that we could be doing right now. You know, you have a family that, that sends you an email from Turkey, and they say, hey, pray for this family, this Muslim family. We're having them over for dinner. It's the same kind of thing we can do right here in the States. In other words, mission doesn't always look extraordinary. It can actually look very ordinary, but it can have great eternal ramification, Right? We use this phrase a lot at our church. Effective ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. 
Ordinary people doing ordinary things. You're going to play racquetball? Great. Invite an unbeliever with you. You're going to watch Monday Night Football? Great. Bring some people who don't know Jesus. You're going you're gonna, to uh, uh, watch a soccer match. You get the picture, right? To think about how you can be intentional in your everyday life. So how are you doing at this? Practicing kingdom hospitality. It's quite convicting. It's quite challenging. But it's also, I think, inspiring. Because it shows us that this is some way you can actually make a real meaningful impact as a missionary. It's one of the ways every Christian could be a missionary. By opening up their homes, opening up their lives. And Peter tells us, doesn't he, in 1 Peter 4, the kind of attitude we should possess when we do this. Right? He says, show hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> it's almost like Peter understood humanity. You know, I like that hospitality idea. Do you really? No, I hate it. Um, you, you, so you don't say when the guy comes over, here's a biscuit and here's a Bible. Now sit down, shut up, go over in the corner, okay? Uh, I don't really want to do this. No, we do it gladly. We do it with a sense of, man, Jesus has welcomed me in. And I don't, I don't deserve to be here, but here I am. You may even think about occasions, sporting events, seasonal occasions. Create nights, movie night, board game night. My wife has done a book club for seven years where she selects with these ladies, about two of a dozen of them are Christians. They select one novel a month, a secular novel, and they come over to our house for food and, and such, and they just talk about the issues in these books. And it's just a very simple, practical way. You think about your own life. You think about your own uh, passions. Think about the thing you're, you like. And how can you leverage that thing you like? All I know is, is lives are changed often when you just turn to somebody and say, do you want to come over for a barbecue on Thursday night? Big things can happen. And the only practical thing I would say with that is just don't freak them out when they show up. <laughs> right? right? We, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. The dinner's going well and they're just getting to know people. And then you turn to them and you're like start talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse or something like that. And you're like, man, I don't know if we're coming back. Um, you, you, can, you can be normal uh, as you do this. For some people, this is, they get frightened because they're introverts. And I just say, you can do this with a team. You let the extrovert be the star of the show, and you be in the background. That's okay. Or some people think, I don't have a big enough house. Well, you don't, don't limit this to your, your home. Or it's, it, it's too expensive. You don't have to spend a lot of money to care for people. Soup goes a long way. Like you give a college student a free lunch that's chili, they'll love you forever. It can be in a styrofoam bowl. It doesn't matter. There's a way to do this, right? Well, it's warfare. It's challenging. It creates some inconvenience. It causes us to die to self, right? So that's point one. We want to invite outsiders into our homes, into our lives. Secondly, we want to invite outsiders to Jesus' feast. And Jesus turns it now. Notice verse 15. There's that guy who shows up at the, at the event and speaks up. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that sounds really pious, but this is a guy who obviously doesn't get the hint that Jesus has rebuked everybody, including him. He thinks he is the exception to what Jesus has just said. So he offers this pious platitude Blessed is everyone who will eat bread. And, of course, that is true, but there is a, an assumption on his part that he's going to be in the kingdom. 
And Jesus, you see, is not happy with his response. And that's indicated by the next word, which is, but. Right? But he said to him. This whole guy's attitude and his response triggers an entire parable from Jesus. <laughs> and so Jesus begins to, to speak to him. And it's a warning, I think. Just because people have some pious language doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Just because they pray at youth camp or throw a stick in the fire uh, at fall retreat or sing Jesus take the wheel or, or, or say blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God doesn't mean they're there if they haven't responded appropriately to Jesus' invitation. And so what is Jesus' invitation? Well, notice he gives these invitation to three individuals and some lame excuses come back. Notice the, the context. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. I love this picture of King Jesus. He is a great man who had a great banquet and he invited many. Isn't it awesome to be invited by Jesus Christ to the greatest party that's ever been thrown? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of P. Diddy or Puff Daddy's uh, uh, parties where everybody wears white. And it's, it's a big thing if you get invited to, to this party. Well, ain't no party like the Jesus party. Because the Jesus party don't stop, right? And, and Jesus, Jesus has, has invited many, including me and you, to this party. He's invited the world to this party. But notice how some people respond to this invitation. The, the time came for the banquet. And he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now, isn't that really strange? Hey, man, greatest party that's ever been thrown. Jesus himself is present. You're invited. Do you want to come? No, I can't. Why? Bought a field. Oh, you, you did what? I bought a field. And I need to go look at it. Like, who buys a field without first looking at the field? And, and the second one is similar to that, right? When, he, when the second guy comes and says, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Hey, man, greatest party that's ever been thrown. Jesus has invited you. Do you want to come? Can't. Why? Bought some cows. Need to go have a look at them. <laughs> Like, this is before a CarMax, okay? I can understand buying a car at CarMax when you get all the details, right? And it's kind of reputable. There is no oxen uh, max uh, but in this time. The excuse makes no sense. We kind of sympathize with the third guy. Another one says, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That's <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic, is it? Greatest party that's ever been thrown. Hey, pal, you want to come? I can't. I'm vacuuming, right? I, gotta, I, <laughs> I got married. I can't come. I used to go fishing, and now I got married. I, you know, I, I'd like to come to your party, uh, but, I, but I just can't. And what the guy should have said, it's, it's free food, pal. Like, you can take your wife out, get dressed up, take some pictures. And so what's the deal with this, these three guys? Why does Jesus say this? I think in each of them, you see a preoccupation with something. In a similar text, it's not a parallel passage, but it's similar. Matthew 22, 1 to 10. Feast is happening. Invitations go out. And, the guy said, and, and the, uh, Jesus says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. In, in other words, 
there is materialism. There is idolatry. There is something that they're preoccupied with. You see, the problem, ultimately, why people don't come to Jesus lies in the heart. It's usually the people I talk to, occasionally you've got people who have real theological problems. I won't believe in Christianity because there is suffering in the world. I won't believe in Christianity because I don't trust the Bible. I won't believe in Christianity because of this or that. Like sometimes you do have that. But the majority of my experience has been there's just a preoccupation with stuff. And at the heart of it is Mike's text from last week when, when Jesus says in verse 33, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You have three cases here of individuals who are not willing to renounce what they have for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so the lame excuses today, are, are you know, there are a plethora of them. Hey, how many of you have invited someone to church? And they say something like, you know, it's just not a good season. Well, when is a good season? <laughs> well, I got little kids. Well, I got, my kids are gone now. And now I'm enjoying life without kids. Or I, I've, I've got all my, my television shows recorded. Or there's football on. Or, you know, the, the excuses abound. It's usually not, you know, I've got a problem with the problem of evil. I have a problem with the exclusivity of the gospel. No, what they have a problem with is the heart. Something has preoccupied them. And notice, it's not that they don't say that they won't come at some point. They say they won't come now. And you see, that's a warning. That's a danger. And if you're not a Christian yet or you're watching this online, the question is, like, what needs to happen that hasn't already happened for you to come now? Like, are you waiting for a better sermon? Right? Are you waiting for a better season in life? What are you waiting on? And this is the danger, that you wait, you wait, you wait, you stay preoccupied with things other than Jesus Christ, and you miss the party. You miss the party. And so Jesus says, I'm not finished. Let's invite some other people. And we see this in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, most people read this, scholars read this as a kind of a Jew-Gentile mission. Invitations go out first to the Jews, and they, they rejected Messiah. And now, invitations have went out to the Gentiles, to the whole world, the, the crippled, the, the blind, and the lame. Those who you never thought would respond, respond. And those who had all the privileges refused to respond. In other words, this includes us. The invitations have, have gone out to us. And we now also enjoy this role, don't we, of being like this servant of inviting everybody into the kingdom. He says to, to walk church. He says to image church. He says to Imago Day church, go out into the streets. Go out into the lanes. Go out into the hard places. You never know who might respond to Jesus Christ. You never know. Like that kid smoking e-cigs outside of the high school. He might be the next church planter. You never know where they're going to come from. And that's one of the things you see that's very surprising in the Bible, that the people you think would respond to the gospel don't. And the people who you never thought would respond to do. And so don't, we don't, again, we don't limit our guest list. We don't limit our evangelistic net. We cast the net far and wide. Go out there and, and invite them to come. He even makes it stronger, right, when he says, compel them to come. Plead with them to come. And the servant says, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. 
We get to tell the whole world, hey, there's still room. There's still time. There's still room. There's a spot for you, pal. There's an empty seat. You can have it. You can respond to the king in this invitation. And the master of the, of the servant said, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Don't you love the fact that Jesus wants a full house? He's not just like, I'll just take a couple of you. I need some empty space. I need some bedrooms that are not used. Right? I need some living spaces that nobody touches. No, I want the house full. I want, I want people from every tribe and tongue and language and people. I want all of them into my house. And then he says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In other words, he says, the, the party is going on with or without you. Now, that's something. Jesus is saying, I don't need them to have my party. I invited them. And it's their responsibility to respond to it. But they won't taste my banquet if they don't respond positively to that invitation. It's a marvelous passage. Let me just raise three questions, and I'm going to pray and, and be out of your way here. Number one. Are you coming to the king's party? If you, if you are not, it's not because you're not invited. You've been invited. The world's been invited. Are you making lame excuses for not coming? Think about for a moment the greatest invitation you could receive today. What do you, and just, you know, in, in a fleshly sense. If someone said, hey, would you like to go to Paris? I'll give you 10K. We'll just go shopping. That sounds amazing to me. We'll sit in the cafes. We'll look at beautiful art. You want to come to Paris? You can fly first class. Or, hey, pal, would you, would you like to watch the NFL playoffs? 50-yard line. We'll go talk to Tom Brady afterwards. Would you like to go fly fishing in Washington? What if that guy, would you like for that guy that you like to call you, to invite you out? Every single invitation you could ever think of pales in comparison to this invitation today. You have received the invitation of invitations to dine with the king, to experience the kingdom. Jesus says, come, everything is now ready. It's all ready because Jesus has done everything necessary. He lived a perfect life died a substitutionary death, rose on our behalf, is at the Father's right hand, is reigning and ruling and interceding and is coming again. Everything is ready. Don't you love it how Jesus expresses hospitality when he tells the disciples in John 14, I have gone to prepare a place for you. What a thought. He has prepared a place for you and I. Second question as a Christian, are you anticipating it? Are you living in light of the glory that is to come? Because when we realize the glory that we have in front of us, we're willing to make sacrifices here and now, are we? Luther used to say, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. And we live this day in light of that day. We are to always keep this day ahead of us. The return of Jesus Christ, the establishment of his kingdom, and all the joy and all the glory that comes with it. And finally, are you faithfully inviting others to this party? You know, we tell our church, we have a very young church as well. Sometimes 
I, you know, the younger generation that didn't grow up around very evangelistic churches often bristle at the idea of evangelism, proselytizing. It almost sounds like a, a negative word today. Like, I even read a study where, where some millennials said they thought the best thing for their Christian, their non-Christian friend, the best thing that could happen to them is that they become a Christian. And then, oh, like, over 50% thought it was morally wrong to evangelize. Yeah. But here's the thing I tell our church all the time. Everyone in society is evangelizing. Everyone. They just pick an issue. Aromatherapy. Kale smoothies. LaCroix. Life-changing skin care. Uh, you know, Bush Gardens. CrossFit. Oh, the evangelist for CrossFit. Um, Alexander Hamilton. Uh, uh, Yellowstone. John Morant for MVP. Like... Like everybody trying to persuade you for something. And we have the greatest thing in the world. So don't be bashful, right? Don't be bashful. No, we're going to join in that party. We're going to join in that, that persuading, you know, practice that everybody in our society is doing because we got the truth. We say to the world, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, that's good evangelism. When you can really enjoy the Lord yourself. And tell your friends and your families and the people you bring into your home and into your life, I don't know what you're tasting. You haven't tasted anything yet. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I, I, you know evangelism kind of like cooking, if you like cooking. I love making guacamole. I think I arguably have the best guacamole in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and, and when I got the avocado and I got the cilantro and I got the lime and I, I put a little citrus on it. A lot of people leave out a little citrus. And I got the onion and I, I mix it up perfectly and I take a chip and I get it. And I, oh, I don't have enough salt. Put a little more salt on it. Get it just the way I want it. I can't keep it to myself. I start walking around the house saying, oh, you've got to try this. You've got to try this, right? And that's what we do with the gospel. We enjoy it ourselves. We delight in it ourselves. And we tell the world, hey, come taste this. And praise God. Praise God, we've enjoyed it. We know he's good. Praise God, we're going to this, this future kingdom. May God give us grace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. For pastors Hyde and Mike. Thank you for the leaders, the laity, those who faithfully serve for the, the passion of Walk Church. We pray, Lord, I pray you would be gracious to them. Make your face shine upon them. That 2022 would be a year of great grace. The year of the Lord's favor would be here at this church. That many people would taste and see that the Lord is good. That you would make us faithful missionaries where we are. That we would open up our homes and our lives. And that we would never forget that you are the Lord who welcomed us in when we were not worthy. You gave us a seat at your table when we had nowhere to sit, and we praise you for it. May we never get over your grace. We pray in Jesus' good name. Everyone said amen. Amen. amen.